Does anyone need an outline tonight? If you need an outline tonight, if you slip your hand up. And uh, Alfred, do you want to help me? Alfredo, you want to help me with that? Anyone else need a copy tonight? The book of Hebrews. Have you ever read a book and then they put out a movie about that book? Can someone give me an example of one? Yeah, Bridget. Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. So they put out the movie. That's the old school movie right there. Every right before Easter, every Saturday, the Saturday night before Easter, ABC last year was the first time they hadn't done it. In all the years I've been alive, I don't know why they didn't do it. But I'll sit there and watch the Charlton Heston as Moses, and I love it. I'll watch that every time. But I'll tell you, with that one, the Bible is still better than the movie is. Now, how about, so someone else, a book and a movie that are together, Felix? Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down. So which one was better, the movie or the uh, book? The book is better. The book is better. Okay. So any others? Can anyone think of some? Yes, Sonette? What? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. So <laughs> is, the book, is the book better or the movie? The book. Avon. Charlotte's Web, so is the book better or the movie? Book. book. Everyone sounds like the books are better, and that's good. I, and Eric, you got something? Hunger Games. Hunger Games. So what's better, the books or the movies? The movie! We finally got someone. There we go. And you probably got the biggest bookworm sitting next to you for a father. So. Oh, you haven't read the books? Oh, so he doesn't know for sure, so... You're going to have to make him read the books, and we're going to have to find out. Michael. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> we're staying real spiritual tonight, aren't we? <laughs> well, I know what i got to preach on soon. We're going to talk about all these different things. All right. But anyways, you can compare back and forth what's better, what's not. William is reading the Chronicles of Narnia books, and they did a couple of those movies the books are way better than the movies that they put out. There's no comparison in the two. But we, we compare things in life. I love basketball and I love football and things. You know, who's better, Michael Jordan or Kobe? And it's an opinion to people. You know, some people would say, like, Joe, neither one. It's LeBron James. And then I'd be like, well, he's a Laker now, so I like him a little bit more than I did before, but I still don't love the guy. And uh, who's better? Is Tom Brady the best quarterback to ever play, or is Joe Montana the best quarterback to ever play, or is it someone else? And you might say, no, it's my favorite Cowboy quarterback, and, um, but Troy Aikman. Um, anyways, you could go back and forth about, and all day long you could debate about, you know, Russ, who's the best baseball player to ever play? Yeah, you got to see Babe Ruth in his prime, didn't you? <laughs> Got you back. Got you. I knew I was going to get you later. What? Don't even know who that is. And my, my, Henry Aaron. How about best pitcher? No, there's just an award named after him. There's actually a guy, Saya. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, yeah. So, oh, no, no, if we get rough started, he won't stop. So, 
Like, like I'm going to be interested to see if they, I, like Ticketmaster and different things, you know they're saying that you're going to have to be vaccinated if you're going to go to a sporting event or to a concert and things. I'm going to see if Russ's love for baseball is true or not or if he gives up on that. That's going to that's gonna be what I'm going to be watching to see what happens right there. And, uh, but we could go back and forth all day long about this is better, and a lot of times it's just a matter of opinion. Because, okay, to me, the best basketball player to ever play was Michael Jordan. Now, I love Kobe. Kobe, by far, was my favorite basketball player. But, to be honest, Jordan's the best, I think. But I never got to see Wilt Chamberlain play. I didn't get to see Jerry West play. I didn't get to see Bill Russell. So, really, how am I supposed to... It's just a matter of opinion. You say, well, if, if, if uh, Chamberlain played in the day... You can't compare. But we like to compare things. Tonight, the book of Hebrews, there's nothing to compare. Jesus tops it all. Jesus is better than anything you could mention. And the book of Hebrews takes a lot of the things that the Jews held dear to them. Moses, the tabernacle, the priest, angels. And he basically, the author here says, they hold nothing to Jesus. He is the best. There's nothing to compare to Jesus so the title tonight for the book of Hebrews, Jesus is Better. You'll find the word better 13 times in 13 chapters. Now, the big question as we dive in, like every book of the Bible that we've talked about, who, who, who wrote it? There's, in all honest truth, people don't honestly know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some would say, and many think that it's Paul. Because of... Uh, Chapter 13, verse 23, he mentions Timothy. And then they also think that Peter mentions it in 2 Peter, and somehow they tie it to Paul. There are others, and I think I put it in your notes there, around 200 A.D., this guy, that's quite a name, Tertullian, held that Barnabas was the author. More than a thousand years later, Martin Luther suggested it was Apollos. Others have said, suggested Priscilla, Luke, Barnabas. And the list could just go on. But most people think it was probably Paul. Now, it's interesting. You say, and it doesn't really matter because we don't know, okay? If you want to be dogmatic and say it was Paul, for a long time in my Christian life, I sincerely thought Paul. That's where I would have leaned for sure. But when you study the book of Hebrews, and my personal opinion, I know you don't care about my personal opinion, but my personal opinion, where you get to chapter number 10, and the author talks about the importance of church and encouraging one another and so much the more to see the day approaching. I think it's got to be Barnabas. Barnabas would be my, what I think. But like I said, it doesn't matter what I think. And so the book of Hebrews, though we don't know who the human author was, do you know what we do know about it? It was inspired by God. It was sealed and written in heaven before it was ever penned by whoever penned it. The Holy Spirit of God gave this book and it is part of the Bible. One of the things they thought about when they were putting the canon of Scripture together was do we include the book of Hebrews? They didn't want to include Hebrews because they didn't know for sure who authored it. So that was one reason there. 
We'll look at the book of James next week. They thought there were some contradictions with the book of James and the book of Romans. There's no contradiction. And so, but this is the thing you've got to understand. We have the entire Bible, all 66 books. We need no more. We need no less. God gave us what he wanted us to have. And I sincerely believe that. And we should all believe that. And so, at the end of the day, we really don't know who wrote it. But we could all guess about it. You could sit around and have conversations about it. Um, I'll tell you the reason why I don't think it's Paul. I'll just give you that and then we'll move on. Paul, all of his epistles that he wrote start out with a greeting and they end with, uh, with, a, with a closing. The book of Hebrews doesn't have a, that. It's t- set up completely different. So could Paul have just felt like writing differently one day? Sure he could have, but, you know, who knows? And if you want to, and it's one of those things, make sure, don't be dogmatic about things you just don't know. Far too many Christians don't know everything, and we are dogmatic about the things that we don't all have all the answers to. You know, did Adam have a belly button? That's a good question. Who knows? But I heard someone one time talk about how he was sincerely believed that, Ab- that Adam had a belly button. Like, who cares? <laughs> I had one guy say that you, could, you couldn't be right with God unless your hair was tapered, a tapered cut. If your hair was blocked in the back, you weren't right with God. You can't find that anywhere. That just, and that's where you got to understand, like the book of Hebrews, say, well, I, I, I firmly believe this. Who cares? You don't know. I don't know. So don't worry about it. It's the Bible. Trust the Bible. It's in there for a reason, and it is a great book, and you're going to know more about it tonight than what you did before. I was talking, Marquise and I were talking today, and Marquise is like, what book of the Bible are you on? And I said, I'm on the book of Hebrews. He's like, oh, the book of Hebrews, that's a very hard book to understand. I told him if he didn't go to a different church and kept coming here, he could understand it a lot better tonight. And so, him and Jay both. But anyways, we aren't sure who wrote the book, but we do know this. Who was the book written to? It was written to Hebrew Christians. We don't know who or where, but what we know about the people that the book of Hebrews was written to is we know the fact that they were very familiar with the law, They were very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures and Judaism. Now it's the Jewish religion and customs and culture. So that's how we know that it was written to them. And then when was it written? Most agree, and this is another thing, we don't know for sure when it was written. Generally, people agree that it was written sometime before 70 A.D. And the reason why before 70 A.D. is because what happened in 70 A.D.? Jerusalem was leveled. And so it probably would have mentioned something about that if it was written after that time. That's where that comes from. But once again, don't get too big on that if it was written before 70 AD. We know that before it was settled in heaven before anything. And so we can trust that. The purpose of the book, there's two main purposes, and we're going to talk about those tonight. Number one, the first purpose is to elevate Christ. To elevate Christ. As we look at this tonight, and as we dive into it, the doctrinal portion about Christ carries a lot of practical implications for us today. 
You could look through here and you could read the book of Hebrews and you might not understand every detail that it talks about with Moses or when it gets into Melchizedek. Talk about an interesting character in the Bible, Melchizedek. Talks about him in chapters 5 and 6, I believe. Now you say, well, who was Melchizedek? Well, if you look at Genesis chapter number 14 and you look at the book of Hebrews here, Melchizedek was the king of Salem which is an early name for the Jerusalem. So he's the king of Jerusalem. He has no beginning of days, no ending of days, and he has no father and no mother. So who could he be? And, and Abraham, what did he do? He gave a tithe to him, and this priest Melchizedek had grape juice and bread. It's very clearly, it's got to be, if he has no father, no mother, no beginning of days, no ending of days, it's an Old Testament, it's a Christophany, it's, uh, it's Christ, is who it was. And some people talk about, and they say, well, if it's Christ, then why is Melchizedek being talked about? We'll get there in a few minutes, maybe, if we have time. But you're not going to understand every little detail. We'll get into the, if you read chapter number 8 through 10, you see the tabernacle mentioned. And do you know every piece in the tabernacle the candlesticks. And we could go through, and I did a long time ago, I did a study on the tabernacle, and I feel like my study skills are so much better today than what they were back then that I'm actually going to go back and redo that before too long. I've got a list of things. I look back and I'm like, man, Brian, you really needed help several years ago. And I'm sure in a few years I'll look back and say, man, Brian, you still need help in these areas. And uh, just a while back, one of my goals that I have as a pastor is to preach through the entire Bible and the ministry that God gives me. That's going to be quite a task right there, but that's one of my goals. Elevate Christ. Let's start there, and we'll see how far we get tonight. But first, we see this. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the prophets. Oh, the prophets. The prophets, Israel looked up. The Jews looked up to the prophets. We look at chapter number 1. It says, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he sat down by himself, purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So much better. Prophets were a big deal. The prophets represented the Old Testament law. And a lot of us that are doing the Bible reading through in the year that plan together, you're going through the law and you're hearing all of the law. You've got to understand the whole point of the law was to show us that we could never keep it. That's the point of the law. We're never going to be able to keep it. That's why we need Jesus. We see that Jesus is better than the prophets. And think about this. Jesus finished all of it. And then um, he also sat down on the right hand of God. I don't think there's prophets sitting there, are they? Jesus is better than the prophets. Let her be. Jesus is better than the angels. Verse number four goes, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. 
you think about it, angels were highly revered throughout the Old Testament. And even if you hold your place here, go with me in Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Deuteronomy 33. Look at verse number 2. And I don't know if that's the right verse. That's not the verse I wanted. I thought about that before I told you. And, uh, well, no, right there. It is there. What am I thinking? The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shineth forth from Mount Paran, and he came with 10,000 of saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. The Old Testament, the Jews, they looked to, angels were a big deal to them. Think about, um, was it Abraham and the angels that came to him? The angel that came for Sarah? Tell her about the birth that she was going to have. You could look at the angel of the Lord for Joshua before they went into Jericho. Talk about the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel, the A Gabriel. Talk about all these different angels. Angels were a big deal. What the Bible lets us know and what we understand is this, that Jesus is superior to any other messenger that's ever came. And that's what, as we look at this and we think about this, think about this, and if they paid attention to the Old Testament and they were concerned, they thought something about it, look at what chapter number 2 says, verse number 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip away. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by, uh, unto us by them that heard him? Like if you like what the angels had to say, what was said about Christ, and Christ is so much better. That's the whole theme of the beginning of the book here, letter C. See that Jesus is better than Moses. Moses was a big deal to Israel. Say, why was Moses a big deal? He led the children of Israel out of bondage. He was God's deliverer, the Old Testament deliverer. And in all honesty, if we were to go, and sometime it would be a neat little Bible study to do, all the Old Testament pictures of Christ. Because Moses is, a, is an Old Testament picture of him. Joshua is also another picture. You look at Joseph, you look at so many different Old Testament characters that are pictures of what Christ did. But when we think about Moses, Moses was their hope for deliverance. Look at chapter number 3, verse number 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he hath builded the house, hath more honor than the house. Moses was Israel's hope of deliverance. He built the tabernacle where they worshipped. He built the place of worship, but Jesus was the object of the worship. 
They rebelled in the wilderness. They wandered 40 years. And how much, you think about this, Christ is superior. Moses doesn't hold a candle to Christ. For some Jews today, they would have a hard time with that. If you notice, the Jews didn't accept Christ. They didn't want Christ. You got some Christians here, they did. But as the majority, you look at Israel today, you look at the Jews today, they don't look to Christ. You mentioned Moses, they get that and they get other things. But you got to think about Moses, Abraham, David, are highly revered to the Jews today. Yet most Jews reject Christ. Christ is so much better than any man that ever did anything. Look at chapter 4, verse number 1. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Hey, stop looking for deliverance in a man, he's telling them, and look to Christ. Christ is better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. And it continues, Jesus is better than the priests. Jesus is better than the priests. When we talk about the priest, you've got to understand what the priest do. The priest offered sacrifices for the people. It was an important job. If the priest didn't do that, who would do it? And you can even see in chapter 4 and verse 14, and we continue on as we go through here, and you look at this passage, verse number, chapter 5, verse 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. And, but you've got to understand, those priests... Someone had to sacrifice for their sins as well. Their sins were not covered by themselves. The point of the priest was the forgiveness of sins. But it was a temporary thing in the Old Testament. And so they had daily sacrifices. They had annual sacrifices. They had ceremonies of shedding blood for the remission of sins. And look at chapter 5 and verse number 9. It says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. This is talking about Christ. Christ is so much better than the priests that they had. When we look at that, the priests represented Israel, and, and you think about this, and offered sacrifices for sin. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And he died and he paid the price once for all from the line of Melchizedek, not Aaron. That's interesting. Note right there. Fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies of his priestly lineage. And what this is saying when it talks about Jesus being better than the priest, that Jesus is better than the Jews' religious traditions, the law. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than their object of reverence, the angels. Jesus is better than their religious leaders and Moses and things of that. And Jesus is better than your best religious efforts, the sacrifice by priests. And then we see, letter E, that Jesus is better Jesus ushers in a better covenant. <laughs> if you read, and as we've been going through in the book of Deuteronomy, those that are following the Bible reading plan that we're going through, the old covenant, 
I'm so thankful for the new covenant in Christ. That old covenant, yes, it's there, and praise God that there was that standard set, but a covenant just means simply promise is what it means. You look at chapter number 8 of Hebrews and go down to verse number 6. It says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now, hold it there. If you've been reading, what does it just today, I think I left in the notes for today's reading, God's covenant promise with Israel was conditional. In Deuteronomy, I, forget, I, think it was, I don't know what chapter it was this morning. But it said, if you obey me and you love the Lord with all your heart in these things, then I will take, clear out the promised land for you. And it was a conditional covenant. Look at what we just read one more time. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. There's not much of a condition there, is there? It's the new covenant. Say, so what's the difference? The new covenant, how, how do you get the new covenant? How are you part of the new covenant? Through salvation. And look at what Christ does. The new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. It was conditional, and it's not conditional. This is what the Lord will do. You know, sometimes as believers, we're like, well, if I live this way, then God will do this. And God says, I've already done it. You're saved. We talked about it in Romans on, Wednesday, on Sunday night. If you're saved, it's already done. I will do this. you got to see if you're thinking about the difference between the old covenant. The old covenant basically said, if ye do this, then I will do this. Where the new covenant says, this is what I'm going to do. That's the difference in the two. And in the Mosaic covenant, obedience came from fear. In the new covenant, it comes from a willing heart and mind, and it comes out of love to him. Chapter number 9, verse number 1, Then verily the first covenant all had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. Verse 2, For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And you look at all those pictures that are mentioned there in the tabernacle. The candlesticks. What was Jesus? The light of the world. The showbread. He's the bread of life. 
There's so much to all of it. We skip down to verse number 6. It says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of his people. And then you skip down to verse number 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of goat, of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of an heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Christ ushered in the better covenant. What did the priests do in the Old Testament? They sacrificed something, and it just covered it, kept passing it on and passing it on. See, the Bible says that Jesus did it once. That's where there are religions out there that will say that Christ continually dies. He did it once. Jesus is not hanging on the cross today. He's with the Father, preparing a place for us, and he's going to come again. That's why if we talk about mass and those sorts of things, that's where verses like this go against those things. And once every year... The priest had to offer himself and others. But once Christ did it, it was all taken care of. And that's what's interesting. You know and you think about as the end gets closer, you realize, and people, we talk about the end. When's the end going to be? Who knows? Back in Jesus' day, they were saying the end was coming soon. I know this. We're closer right now than what we were when the service started to the Lord coming. But you realize the Jews are going to go back to their way of sacrificing things again. They totally missed it. They're going to go back to their old way of things. That's one of the things you understand. The temple will be rebuilt. And I, you, and I even hear that they have most of the furniture ready for the temple. And really my thinking is that once the temple is here or shortly around that time, the Lord will be coming shortly around that time because the temple needs to be there. That plays an important part in those last seven years. But they just miss it. That's why, as we see, that's why this book is written. Because all the things that the Jews hold value in, yeah, they were important. Moses, great guy. He did a great job for God. But he was a man that couldn't even enter into the promised land because of his anger issues and because he put himself on a level playing field with God. Abraham, great guy. But he lied a lot, for being honest. David, great guy. He committed adultery. The old covenant, it was good. It wasn't enough. But it was never meant to be good enough. It was meant to show us that we could never do it on our own. And we needed the new covenant. Jesus is better than anything of Israel's history. May I just add for us tonight, Jesus is better than anything that we could ever place in front of him. 
He's better. He is the most important part of our lives. There is nothing greater and nothing more that you need in your life. If you could say, Pastor, could I, if you had to choose between a million dollars and Jesus, what would you choose? I would say both. No, I would say um, Jesus every single time. Jesus is better. We see the first part of this book has to do with, ele- with uh, elevating Christ. And then the end of the book has to do with encouraging Christians to remain faithful. Encouraging Christians to remain faithful. I also, this is a personal opinion right here. I label personal opinions so, so you understand it's a personal opinion. I really think that in the tribulation time, that the book of Hebrews is going to be very important to those Jews that get saved and that will help reach the world. I believe that this book will play an important role in their lives. So that's just a personal opinion, but I really do. So we see number two, we see that Jesus, uh, um, we see that he encouraged Christians to remain faithful. Now really start at the end of chapter number 10. Let's look at the end of chapter number 10. Verse number 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, and by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I think in the days that we live, I don't think there's more that we really need to see as Christians in verse 23 through 25. We need to hold fast to the doctrine of the Word of God, the profession of our faith without wavering. We need to be considering one another. And, you know, I've seen have, have you ever been provoked to anger? Has anyone ever provoked you to anger? You know, poked the bear one too many times? Yeah, that's happened before. Caroline's my bear, so I poke the bear one too many times every once in a while. And see how she laughed back there? Yeah, that's a, a, a true right there. But in a church, we're supposed to, we're not supposed to be provoking one another, irritating one another, provoking each other to get mad at each other. We're supposed to be provoking each other to love and good works. That's an important role that the church plays. But what happens most of the time is in a church, we're doing the opposite, and we're getting people angry, and we're feuding with people, and that's not how God intended for it to be. And then we see also the importance of being in church. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And we, why, what's one of the things that happens? You know, you could, we could watch church online forever and go to that route. What would that, that's not church. Part of church is the encouragement we have we're supposed to be encouraging one another to do what God's called us to do. That's what God brings together in a church. 
And you can't get that through a TV screen or through Zoom. There's a difference with those things. But he encourages Christians to remain faithful. And he gives three closing thoughts. Chapter number 11, we see uh, letter A here, we see faith. The Hall of Faith chapter. And man, don't tell me you've suffered for Christ till you read through Hebrews chapter number 11. Those people suffered. And you say, what is faith? The Bible says, chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can look at verse number 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And we need faith. You cannot please God without faith. And in all honesty, faith is the only way to please him. You say, well, how is that? Because how are we saved? By grace through faith. The only way God could be pleased with us is faith. You want to please God? You have to have some faith. And that's how salvation comes into play. And aren't you glad that he gives us the gift of faith and grace? We could go deeper into that, but we're running out of time. There's faith. And uh, you look at the end of chapter number 11. I'm not going to take time to go through all this because there's so much good stuff here. But look down at verse number um, 37. Verse 37. The Bible tells us here, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in deserts, Wait, no, they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world wasn't worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. There's so many people that went through so much that the world's not even worthy of. That's what the Bible says right there. And just a little thought. There are a lot of people mentioned in the Hall of Faith, but there are a lot of people not mentioned as well. How's your faith today? We need faith. Letter B. Hope. Hope. Hope, hope so important. Hope is so important. We look at chapter number 12, and I want you to see these verses in chapter 12 real quick. And we're rounding the finish line right here. Look at verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. As you go through this Christian life, God's given you a specific race. Your race your course is not my course. I remember Paul said he finished his course. That was his. 
We all are on a course that God's given to us. But what we see with this is that we've got to lay aside the things that are weighing us down. If you're going to go running, I've, I jog now some, and I still don't like it. And if you like to jog and those things, you're a weirdo. This is not a normal thing. Jogging is just, it's awful. I hate doing it, but I do it because I need to. But there's people who do it because they enjoy it, and that's just beyond me. But I don't go jogging in, a, in my suit. This would probably slow me down. I'm already slow enough. And uh, it would just slow me down even more. Right, Andrew? He went jogging with me last night. You talk about something that can make you sick. Andrew is as skinny as all get out. And, but he doesn't ever exercise. I exercise over and over again every single day. He goes jogging with me last night. He's just going right past me. He stops, and he stops for a second, gets a drink of water. And I pass him up, and I'm... <laughs> and he just gets going. He could have probably lapped me if he really wanted to but you got a race that God's called you to there's going to be times that you get weary you got to keep your eyes on him because he's the author of our faith but guess what he's also the finisher of it and we're supposed to keep our eyes on him so that we don't grow weary and faint in our minds I love how it says there that for the joy that was set before him what joy what joy was there in the cross? There was no joy in the cross. The joy becoming sin, that was not a joy. The joy was the fact that we would all be in heaven with him when he finished what God gave him to do. What a thought that is. So we see faith, hope, and then love. Chapter 13. And at home, read through chapter number 13. Some of the best verses here, and there are so many good ones, but verse number five, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. Christ, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. What a blessed passage. When we look down at verse 20, it says at the end there, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Basically, what the sum of it all? Jesus did all the work for you. Now let him do his work in you. That's what it says. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the fact that you are so great. 